Welcome to part three of the ambivalence mini series. In this episode, I'm going to explain the mistakes you're making that are trapping you in the cycle of over drinking and making the change process feel like a frustrating and exhausting merry-go-round. And I'm going to give you the action steps that you need to take that allow you to leverage your ambivalence and propel yourself into permanent transformation. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. So for me, the hardest part of quitting drinking was making the decision to quit drinking. For years, most days began with me crawling out of a hole. I'd drink a gallon of water, swallow handfuls of supplements, and slather concealer under my eyes. If my husband was around, I'd piece together what happened the night before based on his mood. Sometimes I could tell he was mad at me, but I knew better than to ask why. Better to be thought of a drunk than to open my mouth and prove it. So I'd go for a run, be a good mom, and send funny group texts to some of my friends who I assumed were doing the same thing as I was. And I'd often tell myself, I can't keep doing this. But then I worked real hard all day long, pretending to be fine so that I could keep doing it so that nothing would actually change. The reason that I pretended to be fine was because I was afraid that if I admitted that I was drinking too much, I'd have to stop drinking. I mean, right? Can I get an amen there? I had no idea what life would be like if I didn't drink every night. I tried and failed every single day to not drink. So I genuinely believed that not drinking would be awful. Somehow, the idea of not being able to drink was actually more painful to me than literally running an entire marathon with a raging hangover. I didn't know I was stuck in a trap. I didn't know I was addicted to alcohol. For somebody with a thinking problem, I did an amazing job of not allowing myself to even ask such a question because addiction is such a scary and stigmatized word in the context of alcohol. But addiction is actually quite normal and also easy to explain. Addiction can occur when any substance or behavior spikes your dopamine higher than normal. And there are two reasons for the spike. If it's a substance or a drug, caffeine, sugar, alcohol, nicotine, or any other drug, it triggers the release of your feel-good endorphins, and that feels pleasurable. But much of the pleasure is subjective. Like you also have to think it's going to make you feel good. Your story about the experience reinforces the dopamine. So for example, if you grow up thinking that alcohol is social and fun, but something that is reserved for hardworking adults, your first experience of alcohol will feel like a rite of passage. Even if you don't like the taste or you feel dizzy and nauseated, you're going to be willing to try it again with the hope that you'll simply have a more adult reaction next time. The story that you've been told and that you're telling yourself 
is what motivates you to learn to like it. But if you've come to the conclusion as a child that alcohol is dumb because you grew up with an asshole alcoholic stepfather who couldn't keep a job, alcohol won't have the same appeal. You're motivated to hate it, not like it. And it's the same thing with behaviors. An anorexic who is forced to eat food she doesn't want won't enjoy it, no matter how good the food tastes, because what she's actually addicted to is the sensation of hunger. It makes her feel powerful. It is her thought processes about what it means to not eat that are creating the dopamine spike in her brain. And on the opposite end of the spectrum is somebody who has learned to comfort themselves with food. So we know that people can get addicted to anything, which is why addiction is so complicated. It's not the behavior or the substance itself that causes the problem. It's your beliefs about the behavior or the substance. You know, I can remember Googling things like, what's the difference between a psychological dependence and a physical addiction? Or what's the difference between alcohol use disorder and alcoholism? Some days I would literally Google, why can't I stop drinking? And of course, don't worry. I did all of that on private browsing because the stigma associated with addiction made me desperate to separate myself, my identity from the addicts, quote, air quotes around that. And yet the fact remained, I drank every day, whether I wanted to or not. Somehow, no matter how many obstacles I creatively placed in my way and the clever strategies I tried to outsmart my subconscious by either distracting or delaying or cutting myself off, my brain always found a way to the inevitable, which is why I literally couldn't fathom the idea of giving it up. The neural pathways that led me to any other options just simply no longer existed. There was no question I could ask where the answer wasn't alcohol. <laughs> and after doing that mental math every single day for almost 15 years, it became an unconscious process. I no longer questioned the shit my brain came up with. I once made it through an entire day of travel, three airports, multiple delays, and I didn't order a drink. To be fair, I was probably hung over for the night before. But either way, I was determined to take the day off. And we finally get home just before midnight, and I could have just gone to bed. And there I am, 1 a.m., with a vodka tonic in my hand, telling myself a story about how I needed to decompress and go through the mail and start the laundry and enjoy being back home in my house. Like, I had argued with my brain all day long. So I had reached decision fatigue. There was no fight in me. I literally didn't have the capacity to say no one more time. And so I drank. There's a lot more going on in that story. And I'll explain in part four the process that you're going to need to go through to unlearn those thinking patterns that are always solving for alcohol. But before you can do that, you must decide that this is actually what you want to do. And this is where most people get stuck the back and the fourth and the fourth and the back of the I don't want to drink, but I love to drink and I want to quit, but I can't quit. In part two, I mentioned that you're going to have to learn to distinguish the difference between drinking and thinking about drinking and treat them as two separate issues. Drinking is a downstream consequence, a behavior of thinking about drinking. It's a think, drink, think cycle. And the mistake we all make is to try to interrupt that cycle at the drink. Just stop it, you say. 
But that's like trying to control the dog by grabbing its tail. The tail isn't the problem. It's not what has the teeth. And the teeth in this analogy is your identity as a drinker who likes to drink so much that you can't stop after one. And the beliefs that alcohol is a desirable substance that makes life better and that you can't feel normal or relaxed without a drink in your hand and that sobriety is boring and pointless and it will keep you from having fun in life. Those are some serious teeth. And the way around those teeth is to ask yourself a different type of question. Instead of asking yourself, what do I want to do? You need to ask yourself, what do I need to do? What is the best course of action that will move me forward? Because you want to avoid an emotional response and access your prefrontal cortex, your logical brain. Because if you ask yourself the question, what do you want to do? You may indeed decide, oh, I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to be done with all of this. But no matter how sincere you feel when you say that, you know it's not that simple because it's emotional and emotions are temporary. Give your brain five minutes or five hours or five days or five months and hit me back. Your resolve will waver. And that is where we have to start. Ambivalence is being pushed and pulled in opposite directions. You are literally believing two things that cannot be true at the same time. And your emotion in any given moment dictates your opinion in any given moment. And that's what's giving you whiplash. And the closer you get to making the decision to quit drinking, the more your brain starts throwing in objections. What about this? Did you think about that? Doesn't matter anyway, because you're not going to be able to make it a week. And let me tell you this, ambivalence is normal. Nothing has gone wrong. Feeling conflicted and unsure are a necessary part of the change process. The change can't be sustained until these questions are answered and resolved. And resolved means to make sense of them. You understand where they come from and why you feel the way you do and actively choose to no longer let those emotions control you, which takes time. Change is a process and the process of change is actually a spectrum. And it's really helpful to understand that spectrum so you can see where you're at and adjust your expectations for what it takes to complete the change process. Bitters. So on one end of the spectrum is what's known as pre-contemplation, which is you have no awareness that there is a problem. You're at the alcohol Olympics and you're in it to win it. You're not conflicted or confused or one bit worried. You've bought into the idea that alcohol is the fountain of youth and fun. And if one is good, two is probably better. Go ahead and leave the bottle. A little farther up the spectrum is the awareness that this isn't sustainable, but you're not really motivated to change. It's fun. You're fine. Everybody's doing it. At some point in the far distant future, you know you'll have to stop, but the pleasure of drinking still outweighs the pain. And in the middle of the spectrum of the change process is what's known as contemplation, 
where you are acknowledging the pros and cons of your habit. And you're looking around at other people who aren't behaving like you, and you're wondering if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. This is where ambivalence begins. It's not all great, the drinking, but it's not all bad either. A permanent decision does seem like an overreaction, but you are willing to admit, at least to yourself in the middle of the night, something is going to need to change soon. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you are moving into the next phase of change, which is preparation. You are doing some homework and exploring the options and thinking about how if you hear one more person talk about how sexy sobriety is and how good it feels, you might just try it. Well, that was my thought process anyway. Also in the preparation phase, you're doing some experimentation, not making any big commitments, but playing with adding new rules or switching from beer to wine or wine to beer or liquor to wine or wine to liquor or alternating water in between drinks, or not buying more than you can drink in one night because you are hoping that you wouldn't be stupid enough to make a run for the liquor store at 10 o'clock at night. You might also be signing up for Sober October or some sort of cleanse or retreat where you are forced socially to say you're not going to be drinking for a certain period of time, and then it'd be really weird if you didn't follow through with that. In your mind, the changes you're making are temporary because you're hoping that you can just reset your tolerance and regain access to that elusive off switch in your brain. And that doesn't work, but you are also learning what doesn't work and you're becoming increasingly frustrated and probably scared that, oh shit, this really is a problem. And unfortunately, with the way that our culture views over drinking, where the diagnosis is you're an alcoholic, go directly to AA, do not pass go, do not collect $200, pick up a copy of the big book, sign up with a sponsor and start taking orders. Because that seems to be the only path you're going to continue to resist because you are literally fighting for your own identity, fighting for your right to decide who you are, and what it is that you need. And this is what interrupts the change process. Because instead of allowing your common sense to say, hey, knock, knock, can you put down the drink for like, I don't know, three months, six months, can, can we give it a rest here? Because you're being told that the only solution is permanent surrender of your own power, then you get stuck in the change process which amps up your stress even more. So you're stuck in this chronic state of fight or flight and your mindset is more and more negative and more and more worst case scenario. And so at the point in the change process where the solution should be inviting your natural, normal defense mechanisms that are protecting your ego and trying to keep you safe are actually causing you to double down on the very beliefs that are keeping you from making this change. And that's why for so many of us, it does require some level of rock bottom for us to finally decide to take action. We're not making the change though, because we're pursuing pleasure. We just can't fight anymore, and we're willing to say anything to make it stop, including, hi, my name is Colleen, and I'm an alcoholic. But for better or worse, at least now, there's a line in the sand. Welcome to the action phase of change. 
where you're finally ready to do something about it. But as we've already discussed, your motivation to do something about it, whether it's fueled by fear or shame or hope, either way, those are all emotions which means you're going to move in and out of emotional states. So the phases of change are not linear. You're going to move back and forth between them. And for those of us who are perfectionists, you're going to need to buckle up because change is a dance between forward motion and backsliding. And as backsliding is actually one of the best ways to reinforce your learning and continue to fuel your motivation, you just need to adjust your expectations, which is why setting the expectation that day one, you're going to quit drinking now and forever for the rest of your life is setting yourself up for failure. Now, I want to be clear. I am not saying that you should not try your best to commit to a period of sobriety. That is the shortest and most pleasant route between point A and point B. But you need a strategy to address the problematic thinking that leads to drinking. You need to learn how to supervise your own mind. Because left unattended, you're going to start asking yourself, what the hell is wrong with me? How did I get here? And how am I going to keep this up forever? And it is those questions that you are experiencing in your body in the present moment that reveal your true addiction. You're addicted to certain thinking patterns that make you feel a certain way. These thoughts and feelings are the real habit that needs to be broken. So you may interrupt the behavior with willpower and discipline and accountability and meetings and all of that stuff. But if you don't learn how to think differently, you will always be at risk. Because these thoughts, these questions you're asking yourself induce fear and panic and also resistance and shame. And those emotions are what are triggering the stress response. And the more stress you feel, the faster you lose access to your focus and your willpower and your intentions. You have to learn how to interrupt that thought loop with a new question. Instead of asking, what if I can't stop drinking? Ask yourself, how can I learn to think differently about alcohol? Notice how those words shift your emotional state. How can I learn to think differently about alcohol? Like, ask yourself that question. You probably feel some curiosity, interest, maybe even hope. Hey, learning is fun. Your brain is a problem-solving tool. You just need to reprogram it with better questions. Let it go to work, finding new information and alternate perspectives and some strategies. My favorite analogy is your brain is like a puppy. It's going to chew. And if you leave it unattended, it's going to chew the furniture, your woodwork, and those $300 boots you just bought. But if you supervise that puppy and give that puppy a bone in a nice contained area and not let it run off leash throughout the house, you're going to get very different results. As they say, there are no bad dogs, just untrained owners. The only way to resolve your ambivalence with alcohol is to shift your focus off the behavior and onto the thought processes that are driving the behavior. You have to train your brain to think differently. And if you are new to my audience, 
this is my area of expertise. My clients refer to my 12-week program called The Next Chapter as boot camp for your brain. I help women move from feeling confused and conflicted and consequently hungover to feeling confident in their ability to manage their minds. And the side effect of having a managed mind is usually about 90 to 100% reduction in alcohol consumption. My 12-week program is for women who are done with the yo-yo diet approach to sobriety and want a permanent solution. Because if you're going to go to the trouble to quit drinking so that you can reset your tolerance, you might as well do it right so that you don't ever have to do it again. I have created the accelerated recovery process based on science, my own experience, and thousands of coaching hours with clients. I use a proprietary blend of self-directed neuroplasticity, nervous system regulation, growth mindset, and storytelling to help you shift out of the drinker identity and into the version of yourself who enjoys managing your emotions because you know the only way to level up is to move through them, not sit under a blanket watching Netflix, sipping on cocktails, complaining that nobody understands and nobody will give you a break. You got to give yourself a break. Ain't nobody going to save you. And if you want to know more about what that looks like, get in the show notes and register for my live training on Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Once you see the big picture, it's a lot easier to take the first step. So come hang out with me for an hour. I'll answer all your questions, okay? And for now, head on over to part four, where I will explain exactly how it's possible to break your emotional attachments to alcohol so that over drinking or even drinking at all simply loses its appeal. I'll see you there.